Johnson, I'm definitely not around at the moment, so please leave a message. Hey, it's Fernando. So, I was just thinking, Jensen, maybe you know the team has been a little, how you say, hasty. Maybe you should drive the car this season and not me. What do you say, my friend, eh? Look, I really like you to drive the car, Jensen. Really. No, you do it, not me. Please. Please. Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed Broadcasting, or rather podcasting, from about five seconds into the future. Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed Podcasting from about five seconds into the future. And we're going to get caught in a loop there. Temporal loop. Yeah. He's Zog. Hello. He's Richard. Hello. I'm Gareth, and the topic for conversation is something Zog's very passionate about. And if I'm honest, as car fans, all three of us are passionate about this, and that is... Cars of the future, or as we used to be told in the past, flying cars. Do you believe in flying cars, Richard? Do I believe in them? Yeah, are well, they I've, possible? I've seen one, so yes, I suppose I Ooh. believe in them more than I believe in Santa uh, Claus, ghosts. Yes. I've always maintained they'll never really happen in any significant way because it's just too complicated for them to happen. There's so many terrible drivers of cars out there as it is. We can't have people then driving aeroplanes terribly. There's well, no room for absolutely. terribleness in aeroplanes, Yeah, is my main belief. And having watched, with some perverse fascination, a couple of weeks ago, footage of planes trying to land at Stansted during oh, that yeah. uh, big storm. Doris. Mm. Doris. Mm-hmm. And pilots that were bringing down these massive airliners, clearly fighting every inch of the way, mm. and you realise that they earned their money. That the sort of skill and reactions and experience that you need to fly a plane because you never know when it's going to get a bit breezy and you have yeah and you have to think you know when you look at the skill levels that you see displayed on the roads around you as you're driving on a typical british road Mm. i'm sure it's the same in other countries would you really want to take that average skill level and push it up into the air it's the very definition of a mixed bag isn't it sometimes you see some lovely skillful driving you just see thoughtful intelligent driving someone just watching their conditions around them and piloting their car through the streets well in the air you're less likely to hit someone else there's a bit more space a little thing called the ground that's the issue another another chunky old fella called the mountains yeah. flying yeah. isn't yeah. a problem landing the and the ground is, is the, the ground. whole air yeah, yeah. ground interface is the problem being yeah. in the air no problem We've being on the ground no problem getting from the air to the ground yeah. at some speed yet yeah, and, and i think richard you've made a good problem. point there though look how enormous hundred ton airliners struggle in high winds and they have tremendous inertia you know they're well equipped to handle high winds the sort of aircraft we're talking about flying cars little personal aviation mobility machines for two or one or four people they're going to get blown around like a toy drone in a wind tunnel aren't they they probably are yeah and we should say that the reason that we want to talk about this today is that we've just in the last couple of weeks seen news of two new flying cars first of all the Calvi liberty 
Sport, which is a Dutch flying car. It is a lightweight three-wheeled car that also works as a gyrocopter. Mm. So if you think about the kind of flying cars that you might have seen previously, yeah, one of the things that always makes them look a bit cronky is how they fold the wings up. Mm. Yeah. How you have a road-going car body and then the aerodynamic stuff that takes you up into the air. Mm. And I don't think any of us have really seen something that's an elegant solution to that problem. Mm. This thing, the Power V Liberty, has taken a different approach. They've gone with the gyrocopter mm. concept, which you know, I think the, the easiest way to describe a gyrocopter to anyone who's seen a Bond film is it's Little Nelly, the tiny little helicopter-ish machine that Bond uses in... Is it, is it you only live twice? It is you only live twice. The key difference between an autogyro or a gyrocopter and a helicopter is that the rotors on an autogyro are not directly powered other than to spin them up initially on the ground. Then you disengage, and it's the forward movement of the air over the rotors which causes them to rotate rather like a falling sycamore leaf and as long as they're rotating they're creating lift so i didn't think they actually needed to even power them up in the, the first place you just all you do you, you just get going and the, the, the forward air movement. movement over the rotors gives you kind of auto rotation i, I think the wallace auto gyro and i know because mr wallace or commander wallace landed in front of me once in carlisle castle in get fresh in 1986 i think it was he flew in and landed spot on time right next to me in the aircraft that was in fact little nelly and yeah I, I, they do have a clutch system which allows you to get those rotor blades rotating and what that okay. does is enable okay, it to do stall short takeoff or landing because if you have to keep going until the rotors are moving then you need a longer run-up but right. if you can okay, give them a temporary sense, yeah. spin up by engaging the motor which gives you forward thrust to rotate them initially but then you disengage it because the second you're off the ground if you've got power to the rotors above you the fuselage that you're sitting will rotate in the opposite direction unless you've got a tail rotor which mm. prevents it from doing that or a jet in the case of a no tar the no tail rotor helicopter that they have but yeah yeah i love auto gyros they're I, light it's a great idea for a flying car and it's simple it seems to offer potentially you know kind of more reliability because your rotors are free spinning they don't have to be driven by complicated gearboxes and engines mm-hmm. and your flying vehicle whatever you're calling this thing you simply have an engine to push it through the air, you know, a pusher propeller type arrangement. Mm-hmm. And on this Liberty thing, the rotors, they're able to fold away. I wouldn't say it's neat. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not beautiful, but it's bearable. What was the name of that Dutch trike, Richard? Do you remember? That, Carver. That Carver. Yeah, it that, looks like yeah. a Carver with a roof rack mm. and a couple of barge boards on the tail when yeah. it's all folded away. Yeah, yeah it, it's like carrying a couple of surfboards or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, not, yeah. You know, it's and it, not bad. It's quite I, interesting. It almost looks like I you agree. could spray that sort of olive green. It looks like some kind of bit of military kit or something. Very There's Something handy, quite yeah. functional about it. It does look like a well-thought-through, proper job. It doesn't look too fly-by-night, you know. And apparently they will be on sale next year and you can give them your deposit now yes, if you're that I've way just, inclined. I've just noticed on the, the bottom of this picture you're showing us that the, um, oh, the prices price. start at $400,000. Yeah, well, that's the popular so plus. Come on, sir. <laughs> yeah, Do you that, really that, think you can get into this, that, flying, yeah. this flying car game too that cheaply? Of course, have electric of course mirrors, it, will, of course it will cost sir a little money. And, <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, yeah. if so, what's electric mirrors, that, that will be another $50,000, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's a, it's it's a very a, intriguing idea, but, I mean, this is a rich person's toy, isn't it, really? It's definitely. It's sort of a practical yeah. transport solution for the masses. I would argue it's not a flying car, but a flying motorcycle. 
It's uh, a fine toy. I mean, how many a, people can you get in it? Uh, that's a good question. I think two. I think two. I think two. Two. two uh, uh, a stern, rather than a breast. Tandem, isn't stern. it? Yeah, well, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I do find that quite intriguing. I imagine it's not very fast, is it? The force isn't stunning. It'll do do naught to sixty in about nine seconds, mm-hmm. and one hundred and twelve miles an hour in the air. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. all right. Hundred well, miles an hour on the ground. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's you know one of the good. It's things a good about. toy. You know, it'd be a great thing to have. But as you say, this is not transport for the masses. No, this but is if not you something that's going to eccentric millionaire. First of all, you'd have a big garden, so you could take off presumably from your garden. And then you could just pop to, I don't know, Leeds. Yeah. If you fancied it. And (laughs) if you lived in somewhere that wasn't Leeds. I mean, if you live in Sheffield, it's overkill. You could just drive to Leeds in a relatively short amount of time. But Ah, well, here's the... What, you can't? Range. No, 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 range. Okay, range. There are slightly different specifications for the uh, US and the EU model. But Mm -hmm. range as a road vehicle, Mm -hmm. uh, 1,315 kilometres. What? Range... As as a flying vehicle with a half hour fuel reserve, five hundred kilometres. What's it running on? Because thirteen hundred kilometres is seven hundred miles. That's a very long range. Horsepower engine. It's talking about. Yeah, is it a hybrid? No, it has two separate. Well, I couldn't actually find details of the two engines, but it does have two engines. It has one engine for the pusher propeller, and it has one engine to drive it on the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you've got yeah, you you have a a one hundred horsepower road engine that gives you about. 30 miles to the gallon, a little bit more than that. Both of them run on basically regular unleaded fuel. Mm. The downside of the Autogyro, of course, is you can't do vertical takeoff with it. You can do short takeoff and you can't do vertical landings either. You can do short landings. Well, sir, can't have everything. Yeah, correct. I like a smile. You've got your flying car, now you're complaining it won't do vertical yeah, takeoff. Yeah, yeah. We're living in an age where flying cars are becoming discussed on quite a widespread level. Did well, you see that flying motorbike thing that was suggested the other day that was like the speeder bike scene or whatever they're called in Star Wars, which was basically an electric drone with four rotors unducted that you straddle. I wouldn't want to fly that because it's going to slice your knackers ah, off. OK, now this gets us to the other flying car story. Starting later this year, apparently, you will be able to take an autonomous flying taxi in Dubai. Mm. It's a Chinese one-person drone, Mm -hmm. which Dubai has seized on and decided they want to offer a taxi service in Dubai with the E-Hang 184, I think it is. Um, Which looks like the cabin of a helicopter with four rotors on pylons. Eight rotors, two, one above the other. Cheap. It's a scaled-up version of, you know, know, we've all seen, you know, uh, quadcopters. Mm. Um, This is a scaled-up quadcopter and instead of a body and a gopro in the middle it's got a one-person cabin would you get um, it richard well that's last like a year <laughs> last year i was trying to organize some things in dubai the year before i was trying to get some things made in china and from these experiences there is no way on god's holy earth i am getting in that thing <laughs> fair enough i mean the previous story i'd seen about the ehang 1h4 just 
I mean, you know, it, Good name. Yeah, it did suggest that it was questionable how well made, how vaporwareish it was, <laughs> yeah. how real a thing it was. If the Dubai authorities are saying they're going to be offering a taxi service from later this year, mm. that makes me think maybe I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here. You What's know, amazing? They about would have that? said, you know, if it was such vaporware, they'd have said next year. They wouldn't have said this. You know, there must actually be some actual flying. This is electric, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Jesus a. Christ. <laughs> oh, What's the range? But that's one less thing to go wrong, surely. That's About 15 well, minutes? Simplicity of, yeah, simplicity of motors, but I'll give you an example of why Dubai is a weirdly badly organised place. You'd mm. think it wouldn't be, right. but in my... I mean, I'm basing this purely on my own experiences, but... It's a badly organised place. For some reason, and I'll give you an example, it, it was beyond the wit of man in the hotel I was staying in last year when we were there filming for someone just to show me to my room without a great deal of shenanigans. <laughs> and I was going, could you just show me to my room? And it was impossible. I ended up going to somebody else's hotel room and then I was woken up quite early the next morning by a man knocking on the door and he went, Mr Porter? And I said, yes. And he went, you need assistance? And I went, No. <laughs> with what? That was yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I don't need assistance. What do, I need, what do you think I need assistance with? And you went, I don't know. And I said, well, but I don't need assistance. And he went, okay. I said, did someone send you here? And he went, Mr. Porter? And I went, no, that's me. That's me. <laughs> you didn't. So who sent you here? I don't know. You need assistance? No, I need sleep. And you've denied it. It's extraordinary. It's just stuff well, like that. It's a bit shambolic. It's a strangely shambolic place. And I agree. You do need sort of, Organization Shambolic, but you yes. can't deny the ambition of the United Arab Emirates. In the last Who couple this of weeks, week announced, announced a Mars the, yes, colony plan. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah. Now, if anyone's going to build well, a colony I'm staying on in Mars, the hotel there, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, We're just going to come in and open a window, Mr. Borden. No! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have experience in building an entire city in the middle of a very sandy, dry, arid place. So in many ways, they are well prepared to build a Mars colony. However, and they have the cash to do it. So you're not optimistic about the Dubai thing? You don't think that's really going to happen? That's, uh... Uh, I don't, I don't I mean, know. The, the, I was amazed at how disorganised it was. But, I mean, we could have had a bad experience. I don't know. I just think... The thing about Dubai is that strikes me is that they've got a lot of money, obviously... And they just like headline-grabbing things. I don't know if you saw this. There's a thing called the Hyperloop they're planning on uh, yes. building. which is The story of how that's been going in the States is quite interesting. Mm. The, there's some very nasty uh, lawsuits flying around. But the technology, fascinating. It is fascinating. I actually ended up by accident meeting the chief engineer for the Dubai project, who's based out there. And, but he said the one between Dubai and Abu Dhabi isn't happening mm. unofficially. Mm. It's mainly because we just watched it. But I mean, just I mean, it seems to me though, that whether this Dubai taxi happens or not, whether or not you will be able to take an autonomous, mm. self flying taxi mm. in Dubai this year or not, that model of electric and self piloting vehicles is much more likely to be how any of us are experiencing flying cars in the future than a personal self flown gyrocopter. Yes. We're just not good enough. People no, no, are just too... It's exactly the same uh, reason. You know, I, I think I've said before... Not enough of us are good enough to be pilots. No, basically. well, that's the thing. We're not. We shouldn't presume that we are. It's the same reason that I said I, think I can't wait for self-driving cars, because a lot of people hate driving. It's a horrible necessity, but they hate it. It makes them miserable. Self-driving cars will relieve them of that burden. And imagine mm. someone who's not that interested in flying, but it's like, oh, it's the easiest way for me to get to my new job. I better learn to fly so I can buy a flying car. 
It will just be. But I'll take stress a book. Them I'll out. take a book to read with it at the same time. Stress them out. As well. But it's like if the if the car will do it all for you and it can do that reliably and safely, then happy times. Yeah. Tell you what, I've got a great brand name for this service that picks you up and takes you somewhere. Uberhead, as in overhead, because uh-huh. Uber means oh, over. Yes. Oh, okay. yes. I should go into marketing. Yeah. Yes. Mm. I can think of a service that Uberhead could also describe that would be yes, much more popular. Yes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I saw some of the Uberhead people in the reception of my hotel in Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> and on that mm. note. I'm back. What the heck and flip is this? Uh, this is my new invention, Hank. It drives as normal on the road, but when you deploy the routers and the auxiliary motor unit, it is also a flying machine. Yeah, right. Uh, so the thing is, used when I said let's get really high in your car, um... As Michael Stipe said to me once, it's the end of the world as we know it and I feel fine, but quite frankly I don't feel particularly fine about the end of this world. I consider the end of the world is genuinely nigh with the changes in Europe and the changes in the American presidency. But the end of the motoring world is arguably nigh for a great number of people as well because the tide seems to be turning away from diesel. Now, for many years, we've been advised that driving a diesel is a good idea. That seems to be changing politically, particularly for those of us, and I mean us three in this room at the moment, who live in London. Zog, you drive a petrol car. I do. Richard, you've got, what, three cars and... No, no, just... Just the, just the two. Just the two. <laughs> just the sensible two. Yeah. You've got the shooting yeah, yeah. brake and the no, Land Rover. No. You sold the shooting brake. Which shooting brake? You had a Mercedes uh, oh, GLA shooting brake. Oh, that went ages ago. I didn't know that. Yeah, we've got a GLA. We're just about to go, in fact. So you've got two cars and they're both diesel and yeah, you live in London. I'd wanted a petrol Mercedes and funnily enough, they couldn't get one. There aren't any around because they were trying to get a car from stock. There aren't any around because nobody orders them. I think that will change. The diesels change. are so much more diesels popular. Diesels are so much yeah. more popular. Yeah. So we're stuck with that. And the Land Rover only came as a diesel. And it is in my fevered imagination. I, one day I will have that taken out and have a ruddy great Rover V8 put in and leave it completely stock otherwise. But that plan's a while off yet. Also, I've been finding out how much Land Rover heritage defenders are being sold from the second-hand market. Uh, maybe you should leave them stock, is what I've uh-huh. discovered, because they uh-huh. seem to be going up in value. So maybe I'll just buy yeah, them. Origi- yeah, the originality theater. is worth a lot. Anyway, we digress. I've uh, got a three-litre petrol a, We car. are at the moment a two-diesel household, and I'm not proud of that. I mean, it sort of makes sense that, I don't know, what the petrol, a four-cylinder petrol defender would probably be a bit weedy. Well, we were advised to buy diesels for two reasons. I remember your mate, your colleague, Jeremy Clarkson, saying something quite pivotal on old, old Top Gear a long time ago when there was a Mercedes E-Class came out and it was the first time I think I'd ever heard anyone say, don't buy the petrol car, buy the diesel. It's the better engine, better performance, aside from any economy or ecological advantages Mm. but now the way that we measure the effect that a diesel engine has on the environment has changed Mm. that's changed all our aspect and governments are changing too aren't they well let's be careful about simplifying this narrative too much because it is complicated public policy in europe 
largely pushing us towards diesel cars on the basis that overall that would produce better environmental outcome, mainly from a carbon emissions point of view. Mm -hmm. Diesel Mm -hmm. engines, more efficient, lower carbon emissions, that's good for all of us. But... But particulate emissions are a problem. You know, it turns out that that line of thinking didn't take on board the particulate emission side of diesel engines. The fact that diesels tend to put out a lot of very fine particles that are bad for you, which is an issue in cities. I don't Mm. think this is much of an issue in a rural environment. You know, Mm. if you've got diesel engines being driven around in the country, on farms, I don't think anyone's very concerned about any health impacts there. But in cities, there's very, very good data that says that breathing in all these diesel fumes, the particulates that they're putting out, is bad for you. And so public policy is now trying to push us away from driving diesels in cities. And there's also the nitrogen emission side of it, because I understand it. When the UK authorities recently tested a load of diesel cars, none of them were able to actually meet the nitrogen oxide emission standards in real world tests yes in real they world admit, tests that's the would, crucial they, thing yes. and this is part of the demise of diesel and we'll come to why i don't think it is going to go away overnight by any means at all i'll come to that in a minute but the whole volkswagen thing has yeah. certainly hastened it's accelerated yes. things, yeah. things because yes we've got this problem with our cities the air quality is low and a lot of it is particulates and of course the car gets blamed but let's be honest as well you know buses and taxis run on diesel and have done for years and even the latest examples of those which have better emissions controls are still spitting out all of this stuff that petrol engines don't and they're doing it because they tend to be more sort of city centre running machines you know the traffic in central London during the daytime outside of rush hour a huge amount of it is taxis and buses and lorries and delivery vans isn't it and stuff like that if you watch the traffic in the centre of town there are very few private cars because the congestion charge and stuff like that people just don't bother and the people who do bother they're going to work so they're Mm -hmm. there the first thing in the morning and in the evening but in the daytime you just look around and you would say it's probably mostly diesel-powered things and they're not cars, it's all it's, yeah, it's vans, machinery. buses, lorries. I think yeah. I'm right in saying that not on one single day in 2016 did the air quality standards in London meet European requirements. That's how serious a problem I think this it's, is. They measure it in different spots, don't they? And in, mm. I think some of the central London spots, like there's one well, on the um, Marlebone Road, yeah. if you, which people who know London will know where that is. And that's a very busy thoroughfare. It's got a big bus lane running up the side of it. And that is always going over the prescribed levels by quite a significant degree. Mm. I'm concerned that the focus here is a bit unfair, biased against us car drivers, that legislation for people who own diesel cars in London is going to make it prohibitive to do so. Whereas trucks, buses, taxis, which are all probably doing the vast majority of the damage, are going to get away with it. You know, we're going to get blamed for it, if you like, or targeted. Well, that's the well, usual is, is thing, that the case, isn't it? Though? Surely it's possible to come up with regulations that would push operators of heavy vehicles, of lorries, buses, to reduce the particular emissions from their exhaust pipes is that well i think politicians would argue that that would put them out of business and therefore would slow the whole economy whereas if you do it to us poor domestic consumers we've got options we can use the tube we can use the bus it's an inconvenience it's not a terrible inconvenience for us to buy a petrol car instead of a diesel Mm -hmm. car Mm -hmm. we're an easy target but if you want to achieve a public policy aim if you want to reduce your particular emissions in towns you've got to do it some way yep well, you have put the point that Gareth is making is that actually there's a risk that the legislation makers target a group that isn't really responsible for the bulk of the problem. Yeah. Because, as I was saying, you know, sort of central 
London, there's not a lot of private cars there in the daytime. But I think also the thing is, for normal people who are buying cars, you can't see emissions. So you're not worrying about it. You're dimly aware of it. So like when that Volkswagen scandal kicked off, I don't think that actual punters and a lot of people who own Volkswagens were as outraged about it as was being made out. Because if you're told that your car has slightly higher emissions than the catalogue says... Well, how do you know either way? It mm. could be lower, for all you know. You don't have the testing equipment. The one thing you know is how economical your car is. Oh, yeah. I fill up this one a lot less than I filled up my old one. That's how people mm. think mm. about their cars. And that's why yeah, diesel has appeal for people, because it's economical. It's more economical over a lot of conditions of driving than a petrol car. Although, in recent years, the improvements in petrol engines and yeah. the changing taxation on different fuel types in the last few years, mm. has meant that it hasn't always been cheaper to drive the diesel car. But you know what's funny is I think that you're right, and I think also what the VW thing has done, along with this new awareness of what is coming out of the tailpipe of diesels, and particularly poorly maintained diesels, or those twats who take the DPFs off their old cars and mm. then drive around, and every time they touch the throttle, this huge cloud of soot comes out the back. Belching, yeah. belching. Black and I smoke. see that happening in London, and it's so odd when you become a parent as well, you get a bit defensive mm-hmm. about this stuff. And I'm like, oh, no, you're making my child breathe your soot. So I believe that if you get seen by the police with. Thing. I don't want to. Well, no, fair enough. Soot, you know, <laughs> just, you know. But I think, I think I suddenly become incredibly militant about yeah. this. And I'm like, if I think the police should have the right to pull you over if they see great clams of soot coming out yeah, a recent model they car, and you must then bend down in front of the exhaust pipe and be made to breathe in for a minute while the officer revs the engine. <laughs> <laughs> then let's see how you like it. I'm on board with that. Science Good. and technology will I was will worrying you were going to say it was a bit fascist because it is but at the same time no, screw them. The thing is the EPFC they cost like a £1,000 to replace but that's the problem you see. It's a little bit strict I'll give you that. It is a bit strict. I, w- I wouldn't say it's fascist. But the problem it's with these is I suppose they are inherently dirty aren't they and we have to have this increasing technology to try and clean them up and the latest yeah. one being the urea injection which yeah. you're seeing on very latest So they're injecting engines. in my ear? Yes. <laughs> you, you get an injection in your ear which your makes ear, you back inject- off the accelerator. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly it's really economical. I was about to say technology in science will save us there is technology that can reduce the effects of diesel emissions i believe this newfangled electricity offers many fine yes, possibilities indeed. in yes, this indeed. area but if you're going to insist on using a diesel engine fap do you remember the old peugeot 908 fap the mm-hmm. le mans car mm-hmm. which operated at such high temperatures that it could actually cook the carbon particulates and the filter before it ever left and it demolished it that way that technology filtered down into cars the whole blue what do we call it blue the blue motion and blue yeah that's helping but you need to now top that up four times every hundred thousand kilometers is that right well now here's an interesting one as well because to really 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 clean up diesel emissions which is possible the amount of urea injected into the system is such that at the moment the car makers think that people wouldn't tolerate it they'd almost be having to fill up up the urea sort of every other fuel stop Mm. so they're not programming the cars to do that instead Mm. you maybe fill it up four times a year or something if you do average mileage and so they're sort of holding back until they're legislated otherwise to really clean up these emissions Mm. because i think the thing is there will be resistance i think there's now after the vw thing and after the news stories about particulates and stuff people are aware that the tide is turning against diesel and i've had a couple of mates who are buying cars recently neither of whom know anything about cars and they both went so i should be getting a petrol right Mm-hmm. And in both cases, also, they people who do a lot of short journeys in towns. And I've been saying to people for a while, 
your diesel will give you aggro. There are also people who keep their cars for a long time. Mm-hmm. The kind of motoring you do, your DPF will clog up. You'll suddenly get an engine check light, and it maybe will cost you a load of money to get it all sorted out again, depending on how bad it gets. It's aggro. Diesels, to smooth them out, they have the dual-mass flywheels and all these other things that can fail and do fail in mm. a lot of cases. And I've been saying, just get a petrol car. Mm. And the thing is, they're nicer to drive. Petrol cars are just nicer mm-hmm, to drive in mm-hmm, most cases. Mm-hmm. They sound better. They sound better. Being able to rev a car is just lovely, because mm. diesels always have that very narrow power band. And there's some cars, diesel suits them. I mean, funny enough, my Defender sort of feels about right with a diesel and, mm-hmm. and V8 diesel Range Rover. That's about right. A big if you're lugging l- engine. Yeah, exactly. I was car. about to say, yeah. if you're lugging a heavy load around, you've got a very heavy vehicle, have a diesel. It makes sense. It suits, you know, the torque characteristics. And I think suit, also, yeah. if you think about something like a Range Rover, it's got real estate to spare. They'll be able to fit mm-hmm. a bigger Urea tank somewhere, probably mm-hmm. at the expense of the spare wheel or something. And then it'll be able to sort of really, really clean up its emissions and diesel won't go away for those big cars where people who maybe do long distances as well they like apart from anything else not having to stop for fuel all the time it's just the sheer boredom of filling up it'll survive but already you don't get small cars with diesel engines so much anymore you know there's yeah. a brief time when it felt yeah. they, they were very popular in france and italy in some places that you'd have like a citroen c1 diesel or something there's just no point anymore well, and i was I mean, driving a suzuki ignis the other day with a little 1.2 petrol engine it was lovely and it was doing 50 miles to the gallon everywhere but as you say small diesel engine cars used to be popular in france Renault, I think, recently said that they thought that they wouldn't be making any diesel engine cars in a few years' time. Oh, right. they, well, they're kind of betting they, the farm on electric as well, aren't they? So they need to sort of... Yeah, they have that direction going on, but I seem to recall that they specifically referred to the tightening of European regulations on diesel emissions and that it was just going to be too expensive to implement those on their diesel engine cars. And I assume because of the way everything else is going, that they're getting out of that game. And yeah, as you say, they've got a big electric push in their lineup, so mm. that's where they're going. Who is it who said recently that we should consider long and hard about buying a diesel car politician? Chris Grayling, yeah. Minister the of Transport, Transport Minister. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He said Fairly heavy... People Heavy should. hint. Well, this is the thing. So I was going to say, when I had a couple of mates both asking me about whether they should definitely get petrol when they ordered a new car, they were both sort of aware, not that there was any punishment for having a diesel at the moment, and the new Rotax bans come in next month, don't they? And that's not, it's not punishing a diesel at all. No, no well, no, it's no. not. And it's, it's actually because it's all still done yeah. on CO2. If anything, it sort of slightly favours diesel still. But what is interesting is I think in the public mind now, there's this simmering feeling that any point suddenly diesel could feel this sort of swinging taxation upon it as a means of encouraging people to move away from it. And for people like these two friends who both keep their cars for sort of five, six, seven years... They're thinking, I could be landed with a worthless car that's suddenly costing me a grand a year in road tax. Mm. They don't want that. So people are aware. And I think that, that feeling of the sort of storm on the horizon and then Grayling saying people think long and hard, it just sounds a bit like a threat. Well, it sounded to me much more like a fairly solid hint that the Department of Transport is planning to make it more expensive or difficult to own diesel vehicles or they're going to make it more difficult to make engines that meet the required standard. Mm. It Mm. sounds much more like that than just a general sort of look both ways before you cross the road, think before you do this. Mm. It it, Mm. it was a more sort of definite, think long and hard. Well, we have options. You mentioned electricity there, Zog. I'm with you on that. For short journeys, for the vast majority of people, lecky cars work fine. But lecky buses work equally well. Hydrogen fuel cell buses are operating very successfully in parts of London now. But the other option is short hop electric buses. Buses make frequent stops. If you were to churn 
every bus stop or stand into a contactless recharging point, an induction mm-hmm. charging point. You had a bus with a battery on board. All it had to do was get from one stop to the next before it could zoom. If you've got a supercapacitor or some way of charging the power very, very quickly, that would work. And it would eliminate all the diesel buses from London. Then all you've got to do is tackle trucks. Yeah, or you're just going to get a little top-up to your battery charge at every stop, as you say. To to make it more efficient. Yeah, Yeah, uh, that sounds great. I've just been driving, because you mentioned short hops around town. I meant the bus thing, but also just cars and the short journeys that a lot of city dwellers do. And I've just had a Nissan Leaf for a week or so. And like any electric car... It's that feeling when you have to do a short journey, uh, just sort of, you know, I like go and drop my little boy at nursery or something like that, or I've just got to go to the mm. supermarket, and it's only a mile and a bit away. And there's a slight smugness of going, well, no localised emissions for me. <laughs> yep. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Yep. But there's something else, and it's something that I think will only chime with people like us car people, which is mechanical sympathy. I mm. hate turning on my car, driving it for yep. five minutes, and then switching it off yep. again. Yeah. Yep. It feels wrong. It feels like you're not letting it to warm up. And I know that... Most most modern engines are fine with that. And that's how people I drive. Cannot but do I cannot I hate doing it. Do you, not- do, you, do you ever do the thing of, if you've got to move your car forward or backwards, just about, you know, nine inches. Open the door, push it with your And push it rather yeah, yeah, than yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. won't drive Good. my Sora yeah. anywhere. Yeah. And if anyone wants to buy my second-hand Sora, I can guarantee for the, uh, however many years, 19 years, I think I've owned this car now, 18 years, I will not drive off until it's run for at least three or four minutes and the needle has moved off super cold just to give it some mechanical mm. sympathy. You know, I'm an engineer. I can't drive off and stress that system. You've got to be nice to your tech. Yes. Electric cars. Electric cars are great. Yeah. And I'll be honest, it got to the point where I had the leaf and, and we were just about to make dinner and then realised we were doing something that needed rice. And I went, oh, we haven't actually got any rice. Well, I need to go to the corner shop, which is a sort of five-minute walk. But, you know, it's like we started cooking and I went, screw it, I'll just take the leaf because yeah, yeah. I don't feel guilty about that. At all, in, seconds, on, in any mechanical sense, or indeed in any sort of emissions sense, either. Just go. It's fine. Just my little milk float down to the shop and back again. All's good. And in your leaf, what route did you take? Was it a trunk road? More tree-based puns available in the next episode of Gareth Jones on Not Speed with a bayonet through your neck. He was Richard. Goodbye. He was Zog. Goodbye. I was Gareth. We're going to leave you with a tune. Here's one I've recorded in the style of Pink Floyd. Looking forward to summer holidays, driving in the car. So this one is called Endless Road. See ya.
send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!